You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast, where you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight, because here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show today. I hope everybody out there is staying warm. If you are listening to this on the day that it drops on Monday, it is most likely really, really cold (laughs) wherever you're listening to this. Uh, My goodness, these are temperatures that we are not used to seeing in Oklahoma, and they are blowing me away, quite literally. Um, Man, uh, it's a mess out there. I hope everybody listening to this is staying safe. Stay off the roads if you can. I've, there's been so many accidents already, and uh, and it's still not over. So please, please, please be safe if you have to get out and about. And uh, yeah, just try to stay in if possible because it is disgusting out there. Real quick before we get into the main show, uh, I wanted to follow up with something we talked about last week. Uh, I told you guys that if I could get that one bedding area cut in, that my weekend would be considered a success. And I'm here to tell you guys, I was a big old failure. <laughs> I, uh, they put a little chance of rain in on Saturday, and uh, I went to bed Friday night thinking I was going to get up and, and get to work. And, you know, I thought it might drizzle a little bit, maybe, but I was really hoping that it wouldn't do anything. And I woke up on Saturday, and it was already raining, and it didn't stop raining till about 1 o'clock. And so we got way more rain than uh than I was thinking we would and I guess I'm just a wuss I didn't feel like getting out in the in the wet cold weather and running a chainsaw but anyway so didn't get any work done last weekend but you know I got more weekends coming up I got plenty of time till deer season so still gonna get it done but I did not get it done last weekend so I don't want to waste too much time with uh any other updates because we have a fantastic show today Today we talked with Dusty Keener of DNK Outfitters about all things crappie fishing. And my goodness, he did not disappoint. Uh, he does a great job of starting at the shallow end and then diving way off the deep end. You know, he gets his base uh, set up and then just takes it to the extreme. So I feel like I actually kind of failed as a host on this one. Because his level or his knowledge level was so much greater than mine, 
that I was just trying to keep up. I mean, I, I was trying to, I was trying to listen for my personal reasons and then also just, you know, trying to run the conversation for you guys and he blew me out of the water. And so, but luckily Dusty knew what he was doing and, and he did a great job of kind of leading the conversation for me. And so it still turned out awesome. And, uh, yeah, I just, I can't wait, uh, to listen to this again myself uh, and probably several times because there's so much in this one. And so I hope you guys are ready for it again. I, I don't want to talk anymore because it's so good and we talked for quite a while. And so I want to get you guys into it. So without further ado, here's Dusty Keener of D and K Outfitters. Hey everybody. Welcome to the show today. Today I'm talking to Dusty Keener of D and K Outfitters. How you doing, Dusty? I'm doing good, John. Good, good to hear that. Uh, as we're recording this, we're just starting that big winter storm that uh, by the time y'all listen to this will probably be about over, but uh, Dusty was just telling me before we started that they're getting a lot of ice in his area and it's supposed to hit us tonight, and so uh, hopefully it doesn't keep you off the water too long, Dusty. Yeah, no joke, I'll go crazy. <laughs> you and me both, you and me both, then. Well, uh, before we get uh, too far into this, I do have one very important question for you, Dusty. Before we before we kick it off, do you say crappie or crappy? Mm, I say crappie because I'm from the south. Gotcha. Okay, I so, say that too. From the guide service for twelve years, I have learned one hundred percent it's a north to south issue. Gotcha. Gotcha. I've just heard a lot of people argue it, and I'm from the South also, so I've always said crappie, but I know there's some people out there that'll fight you over it, so. Oh, yeah. They call them crappies. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we got that settled, we, we can move forward. So, Dusty, why don't you start us off and just tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your guide service and all that good stuff. Sure. So, DNK Guide Service got started 12 years ago, and we're basically a father and son team. Uh, we got on Lake Eufaula year-round, crappie bike every single day of the year. So in our business model, we started something a little bit different than any other guide service uh, around here, and that's a no-fish-no-pay policy. So if you don't know me from Adam, and I don't know you from Adam, and you call and you go, hey, I like to go fishing this date and this date for this long, and we go out and you don't catch any fish and the boat catches no fish, then you don't pay. Awesome. Which has happened on several, several people have gotten my boat and told me that so-and-so guy they went with, they didn't catch a fish, and they got charged. And mm. I just don't think that's right. If you're not doing your job, you shouldn't get paid. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I appreciate you being up front and center with that, too. That's that's an awesome policy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, basically, um, we do probably at least 80% of our business is crappie. Mm-hmm. But we do offer sand bass trolling trips, which are great for kids in the summertime who, you know, they don't haven't fished very much in their life. You just hand them a pole, put the boat in forward gear, and a sand bass will latch onto it. <laughs> and they just, they have a blast. Yeah. And we also guide for, uh, for black bass as well, for people who are preparing for tournaments. Or my dad and I have fished bass tournaments on you follow for a long time. Mm-hmm. Nice. And I guess I should have asked that, or you might have said it already. Uh, do y'all mostly operate on Eufaula, or do y'all go other places also? We do. I tell everybody, it's like I am married to Eufaula. 
I don't even get to go anywhere else. Yeah. But Eufaula is so big. I mean, it's it's such a diverse lake. Mm-hmm. It's uh, 660 miles of shoreline, 102,000, you know, acres of water. I mean, that, that's just insane. Yeah. yeah. So we've got dirty water to the south, mid lake. It's it's kind of a yo-yo between just a little bit of a stain. And the north end of the lake is actually very, very clear. Very cool. Very cool. Let's see. Uh, I think you covered most of my introduction questions. Um, if it's all right with you, I think it's time to just jump into this. And and we talked about it. And I think the way we, we're going to go about this is we're basically going to split the year up into the four seasons. And we're going to cover basically the same type of questions and just go season by season. And uh, basically how you guys fish differently in the different times of year, what you're looking for, what you use, and all that good type of stuff. So if it's all right with you, I think we're going to kick things off with spring. And I'm kind of calling spring that March to May area. But, you know, if you have a definite, different a different definition, uh, please let me know. Um, but if that's all right, all right with you, we're going to start with spring. Yeah, yeah, that's fine, John. I mean, especially with having to stay on crop a year round or you for sure have to change your tactics and, and what you're looking for and, you know, staying within in a pattern. You know, fishing's all about fishing patterns. So, so, yeah, starting out with the spring as far as what I'm holding in my hand, you know, what I'm using is a 10-foot bone stick crappie rod with fluorocarbon anywhere from 12 to 15 pounds is what I use. I, I go heavy. Yeah, yeah. And, okay. uh, and I'm using a Kentucky rig. And for those people that don't know what a Kentucky rig is, basically I've got a half-ounce weight on the bottom, on the very bottom. And then I've got two eight-ounce jigs anywhere from four to six inches above that bottom weight. Okay. And that's, that's basically the rig I'll use until, until after, you know, until they go to the bank. Mm-hmm. And then once they come off the bank, we'll, we'll talk about that. It gets different. but Okay. All right, so you, you discussed uh, your rig setup and stuff. Uh, so let's step back just a second. So, you know, you, you leave the dock, you're headed out on the water. Where are you going to start looking for fish this time of year in the spring? Yeah, that's a great question. So what what I'm looking for in are coves that lie east and west. And they're, they're probably on every lake in America. Mm-hmm. But the coves that lie east and west won't be bothered by a high north or south wind. Mm-hmm. And when you're fishing the springtime in Oklahoma, buddy, the wind is going to blow 30 miles an hour to the north, and then the next day you go fishing, it's going to blow 25 miles out of the south. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just springtime, fronts moving in and out. So those coves will be protected, and another thing about a protected cove is not only is it more fishable, but your water will warm up faster. And you're, lo- you're looking for that... You're looking for that even one or two degree warmer water, you know, that, that's out there in the back of those pockets. Gotcha, gotcha. Because that, that's what those fish are. They're, they're ready to get warm. Mm-hmm. And are you looking for, like, structure type stuff within those coves? Are you looking for a brush pile or just that calmer, warmer water? Just that, you know, we I call it pre-stacking which, you know, is another word for, for pre-staging. But you got your females that are that are in those coves. You know, they're not on the bank, but they're they're in there to spawn. 
and and as the crustless spawn comes, more and more fish will will stack in these coves because they're getting ready for the spawn, but they're not ready to go to the bank. Mm-hmm. So on these coves, like you know, what's really important to look for as well is is your bottom, which you want a hard bottom in the springtime. So you know, if you go in a in a cove and it's just all just soft silted mud, you know, you're probably not going to find any fish that are that are, are what I call pre-stacking or pre-staging for the spawn in that cove because the bottom's not right. Hmm. Gotcha. So uh, there's a lot to it. I mean, <laughs> you look for, when I talk about hard bottom, I'm talking about, you know, like black shell mm-hmm. and I'm talking about uh, rock. I mean, pretty, pretty hard bottom. Yeah. Yeah. When they go to make their beds uh, for their spawn, they, they can't do it in mud. So they have to have, you know, when they're in there fanning their nest, it's got to be, it, it looks cool. It's like a little, a little bowl, you know, about mm-hmm. the size of a cup. Mm-hmm. They'll lay those eggs in. And I, I should have prefaced uh, before we started that I myself am not a crappie fisherman. I'm trying to be, which is part of the reason you're here with me. And so you're going to have to forgive some of my ignorant questions. But so this time, this, you know, March, April, May, would you consider that? pre-spawn or does the spawn work into that um what what time of year does the spawn happen no that, that's a good question and, and every year that that's changing mm. just because it seems like our weather pattern is it's like winter won't go away the last two or three years mm-hmm. but you're talking about pre-spawn periods or you know late february through the whole month of march and even probably into the first week of april mm-hmm. and then when your water temps reach anywhere from 64 to 66 you'll really keep an eye on that because that's when your fish will go to the bank gotcha and spawn mm-hmm. and then we'll talk about water temperatures and crappie fishing because they just they just goes hand in hand in and how they react and you know and, and what they do water yeah. temperatures everything in crappie fishing gotcha gotcha so sticking with this you know, pre-spawn phase, you talked about the fish coming into the cove but not going to the bank yet. So what type of depth are you looking at this time of year? That, that's another good question. And, and depth in crappie fishing comes with clear water or dirty water. Mm-hmm. So down here on the south end of Lake Ufala, I consider it dirty water. So my, my pre-staging depth is anywhere between probably 6 to 12 foot. Mm-hmm. And depending on your barometric pressure, you know, fish will sometimes glue to the bottom on a, on a low pressure system, and a lot of times on a high pressure system, they'll suspend. Mm-hmm. So in those coves, I might be in fifteen to eighteen feet of water, but I'm only catching them six to eight foot deep. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Boy, you're already getting into the deep stuff, and I'm loving it. I'm eating it up. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to take notes because I can just turn right around and listen to this again, uh, and and everybody yeah. listening can. And so, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm absolutely loving it. So, uh, so anything else for this uh, time of year, or would you rather move on and kind of hit some of the more nitty gritty at the end? Uh, you got anything else yeah. for this time of year? And I apologize if I go a little a little too in detail. I, I love oh, no. talking about fishing. I think fishing has just fascinated me always. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I grew up with a pole in my hand and my grandpa's dock. I mean, mm-hmm. I just 
fishing's always it's it's an unknown thing so that's what makes it so fun right right no don't apologize this is great this is great um okay so basically we're we've we've got these fish lit up to the spawn mm-hmm. so one you know one huge rig change that's going to happen in the way i rig you to go catch fish is now we're on a flip bobber okay so basically you've got a flip bobber a bobber stopper and when it comes to what you're using that time of year i just use eight ounces like a hair jig mm-hmm. because it's real tough they can take a lot of abuse a rubber jig you're having a good day is not going to last a couple hours mm-hmm. but what's interesting about that is is when you toss that up there where they're spawning and you want to run that about eight to twelve inches deep you know sometimes even shallower than that depending on your water clarity mm-hmm. the dirtier water the shallow the cleaner water the deeper gotcha. but anyways my point is you know when when they go to hit that jig they're not hitting to feed Mm-hmm. Now, the fish don't have hands, so all they're trying to do is move it out of out of that zone that, that it's trying to defend. And so I say a lot of people think they're getting a bite, but they're not getting a bite. Hmm. That fish is hitting that object to to move it away from their bed. Hmm. So I've always thought that was interesting. A lot of times you see your cork, you know, just barely hit jerk because it's it's in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, so, so the spawn is the spawn is an absolute blast. It your your males are terrible will turn black. You'll notice you'll catch a fish and it'll be really white, and then you'll catch a fish and it'll just be we call it tuxedo, but <laughs> it was good just really dark black and that's their t- that's their testosterone makes them really colorful. So that's another thing. A lot of people go, Oh, I'm catching a black crappie. No, that's it's a white species of crappie, but his testosterone turns him black. Hmm. Awesome. Which is very, very cool. This is nature stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so we led up to the spawn. So after the spawn, what's going to happen is, is everything changes yet again. That's just crappie fishing. Mm-hmm. But after the spawn structure, that's when structure is, is so key. Gotcha. So and I, I assume we're moving into that kind of June to September time frame? No, no. This no. is probably the end of April. Okay, okay. Good. Yeah. Your water temps are now 71 to 74. Um, incubation of the eggs happens right around that temperature. So then as soon as everything is hatched, it actually runs straight to the first thing it can find to hide in. Or, or it can't survive. So that's why putting out brush piles is not only important, you know, so you can go out and enjoy a day of fishing, but it's actually just as much or more important to the hatch that gets to survive in the middle of that brush pile while fish literally surround it like sharks. Mm. Yeah, that's what happens. Your, your crappie are like probably, that's probably one of the best times to fish is after the spawn. Because your fish are just starving because they've been on the banks not eating, but gardening and doing the mom and dad thing. And then it's interesting when nature works, they, as soon as they're hatched, they try to eat them. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but that's why brush piles are, are the main focus after the spawn. And that's, that, that's why you go with that, with that method. Gotcha, gotcha. 
And are you still uh, fishing that same jig? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Jigs jigs are just hot that time of year. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that uh, that's up through probably May, right? Yeah, you, you, you can carry that structure um, pattern through through April. I mean, that that'll work. And then now once your water temps, as we go through this, we'll just keep mentioning water temps. Mm-hmm. Now you get into like 75 to 80 degree water temps. So what, ha- what happens under the water is now it's all about the algae. So, and the reason it's all about the algae is you're going to have, you know, algae blooms. You're going to have zooplankton and phytoplankton, which are really little tiny organisms in the water you actually can't even see. But that's what the hatch and the shad are feeding on. That's that's how they eat. Much like krill to a whale. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same, same thing. Gotcha. So, why that's important is, is you're following the food. You're following the food chain, basically. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I guess if I go through this, I'm more like, I'm walking around like, like science, but I, I guess after fishing for 12 mm-hmm. years, and I'm still learning every day I go out there, mm-hmm. but I've based a lot of my success on the water through actual fish science, not just mm-hmm. going in a random cove or spinning behind a random dock and just catching a limit and going, all right, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm loving it. I want to know why. Yeah, yeah. I'm loving. It. I I almost feel bad. I feel like I don't even have enough knowledge to guide you through this thing. <laughs> you know, I can talk whitetails and turkeys and all that stuff, but this stuff is new. And so, man, I'm just loving sitting back and listening to you talk. So I'm I'm just trying to kind of guide you through it a little bit. Um, I'm going to keep my mouth shut for a while. <laughs> no, no, no. So basically, um, so we'll just keep following this this circle like you know how you stay on through the years so now mm-hmm. now the fish have spawned the hatch have run your brush piles mm-hmm. your brush piles you know i'm talking about brush piles cement piles of rock uh you know we call them dock poles but the four poles and the docks that go all the way to the ground mm-hmm. standing timber all that stuff will grow algae on it when the water tends to get in the 80s mm-hmm. and that's that's all you're chasing. Any, anything that I don't care if you throw an old bathtub in the water, you know, which you're not <laughs> supposed to, but it'll grow out. You know, there'll be fish around it. I mean, there'll be fish around a toilet if you throw mm-hmm. in the water. I mean, mm-hmm. anything that grows algae will hold bait. Bait will hold fish. Gotcha. So uh, road beds are another uh, a great thing to fish. I mean, you're all kinds of cement, all kinds of algae. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's you know, let's say it's it's midsummer now. I mean, you've worked mm-hmm. through May. Um, there's going to be a Mayfly hatch going somewhere around mid-May, mm-hmm. and you know, docks in anywhere that the Mayfly can die and fall in the water is is a good place to fish. Gotcha. So that's that's a little Mayfly. That only lasts about two weeks. Mm. I'm picturing like overhanging trees, uh, maybe creek channels where the, the trees hang over, stuff like that. Right. 
Yeah, that that would work too. Mm-hmm. It's it's a time of the year when you're driving in your boat, you you keep your mouth shut because <laughs> we'll actually, <laughs> well, they're everywhere. It's just it's the mayfly hatch, and when that happens, you'll want to go to a little small brown hair jig. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to you want to mask the hatch. You'll hear me say that a little bit too when I talk about shad and shad size. Mm-hmm. But you always you always want to try to use what they're eating. Right. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'll clean a fish at the end of the day, which is kind of an autopsy report for me to find out, wow, they're on small shad. Or I see mayflies in their belly, and I'm like, oh, well, you might need to use brown tomorrow. Mm. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. That's a real hot, t- especially if somebody's going to be in the water for multiple days. Uh, you know, that could be a, a big help right there. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Okay. So then after the mayfly hatch, you're you're kind of going into the first part of summer, you know? Mm-hmm. And now you're focusing on shad spawns. Okay. Just keep in mind, when it comes to crappie fishing, and, you know, when I say follow the food, you just follow the food. Mm-hmm. And that's really all you do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a shad won't spawn just anywhere in the lake. So what you're concentrating on is is black shell, or even if you can find rock that's black, that's darker, mm-hmm. your shad are going to spawn, you know, right off those rocks. So even when you're fishing, you know, you want to be fishing inches from the bottom. Gotcha, gotcha. And what kind of so what kind of depth are you talking here? Now we're talking pretty shallow. I mean, our water temps are you know now in the eighty to eighty five range, mm-hmm. and you're probably in four to six foot of water all day long. Gotcha. And basically you, you lay that pole down you find that slack. And you just barely pick up and you can actually just go down a natural bank with no structure at all hmm. and catch fish during the shad spawn. Hmm. And the shad will spawn three times on, on your full moon cycles. Gotcha. Three times per cycle or like each cycle? Uh, three times each cycle. You'll have three, you'll, you'll typically get three full moons. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and so, so really, right there enough, you know, five days before to probably three or four days after, you know, before the peak and after the peak is still going on. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that's the shad's fun, and that's where, that's where the crappie are going to be. They just, they just love eating those you know, the shad are vulnerable, kind of like they were in their spawn. Gotcha, gotcha. So they, yep, that's the pattern. And, and, you know, to look for those shad spawn, you know, riprap. I think just about every lake in Oklahoma has a riprap. Mm-hmm. And that that's one place that just shad will spawn like crazy. So that could be like a, you're talking about like on a dam when they have all the rock piled up or, you know, maybe uh, protecting a a bay where there's boat docks and that type of thing? Right, bridges. Mm-hmm. You know, anywhere where, anywhere you can find a bridge, a man-made bridge is going to have to have what I call riprap rock. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Awesome. All right, well, that period us into, like, the, the midsummer, and there again, now we have a, a rig change, if you would. Mm-hmm. So now we're running a, a Carolina rig, so that means the weight's on top, and you're using a little gold Aberdeen 
probably like a number two or a number four size little small gold hook. And what's cool about this rig is now you're having to use live bait because now your water temps are getting into 85 to 9 degree range Mm -hmm. and your fish actually aren't as active as they have been because the hotter it gets, the more the water, the oxygen level dissolves. So your fish are actually kind of getting more lethargic. They won't move around as much. They're on structure. Mm But that's why I think this uh, this little minnow rig works so good is the technique's called dead sticking. Mm-hmm. So whether you're fishing a brush pile or a dock or uh, any bridge pillar is good to hit in the summertime. But you'll actually want to hold that thing really still. You want that, that big weight is above that minnow, and that minnow is actually able to swim around in little circles on that gold hook. Mm-hmm. And it, when they won't hit nothing else, They'll, they'll hit that big. Gotcha. Now, when you're doing something like this, are you casting out at all? Or are you dropping it from the boat? Uh, what what kind of... No. That, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. I mean, in any technique, you're, you always need to mention in dirty water. Mm-hmm. You know, but all I fish is dirty water, and I never cast. Gotcha. It's always just, you know, vertical, straight down from the boat. Gotcha. Even when you're fishing in, in, in core foot of water? In clear water, you will cast and drag. It's, mm-hmm. it's a great technique. Mm-hmm. But I, I fish, I'm a dirty water fisherman, so. Gotcha. So, I was, even if you're in four feet of water, you're just kind of basically holding your rod over the side of the boat? Yeah, that's right. Gotcha. That's right, and that's what it, that's what's such a, it's it just, you have to take somebody before they believe you, and then when <laughs> I tell you this, it's the truth, but. You know, we're talking, it's it's July, August, it's 95 to hopefully not 100 degrees outside. I mean, it is uncomfortable hot. And we fish in two to five feet of water hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, basically all your oxygen is at the top level of the water, and that's just because of wind. So actually oxygen is, is the thing to find in the summertime. Okay. You want to key on shade and, or places that have enriched oxygen. Hmm. Nice. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. You just fish shallow structure that, you know, hopefully is windblown or has been windblown the last couple of days. That way there's uh, there's oxygen. There's a thing called a thermal climb. And in Lake Eufaula on the south end, it's typically anything below eight to nine feet just has no oxygen hmm. so it pushes them all up all up high mm-hmm. now this this uh, what i'm talking about is again a dirty water pattern mm-hmm. you know you, you go to clear water you hear about people catching them deep in the summertime and it's actually it's true mm-hmm. but this is just in in dirty water you can just get mm-hmm. away with fishing just dirt shallow yeah it's, it's just so fun Gotcha. So if you're, uh, you know, if some guys listening, they have their rock bottom stock tank, you know, on their on their own place, you know, their little three acre tank that they don't necessarily need to be fishing two feet of water in the summer. I'm sure they could catch them there, but if they, you know, if they have a nice rock bottom uh, tank that's clear, you know, they may need to try those deeper ends too if they're not having any luck. That's right. 
That's right. And and talking about having any luck, I'm, I guess just the way crappie fishing goes, I've, I've got a 10-minute rule. So And then I, I try not to stare at my clock all the time. But if I felt like hey, it's been a minute since we caught a fish, you know, and I look at my watch, and my dad actually taught me this, but he, you know, if, if about 10 minutes has passed by and nobody's caught a fish, it's time to try something else. Whether it's a different location, different pattern, different depth, um, that's just a good rule of thumb for crappie fishing. If I had a dollar for every time I'd fished or not caught a fish every 10 minutes, boy, I'd be a rich man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you need to go buy some gas so you can move more. I guess so. I guess so. All right. Uh, All right. So I think we've covered. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, and, and going into the fall, um, not a lot changes. You're, you know, then I'm using a jig minnow combination. They're hitting jigs and minnows. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll find that fish are really, really going to pile up. So that that's probably when I'll find the largest groups of fish. I may not fish one spot, maybe two spots during that time of year mm-hmm. if, if you have them found. It, mm-hmm. The fall is kind of feast or famine. As long as you know where they're at, they're they're all just super piled up together. Mm-hmm. Now, would it, you were talking about that spot. Was that is that a spot you'd fish multiple days in a row, or you know the next day you're gonna have to find well, them again? No, that's a good question. And, and Lake Eufaula, it just seems like they reload overnight. I've, I've never understood it. I don't know how I get away with it, but I can fish all week, maybe one to two spots, same spot. Gotcha. And it'll produce sixty to eighty fish. A day. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you, there's a lot of places there's not fish, but mm. when you do find them, and there again, that's in docks and brush piles is the main fall pattern. Mm-hmm. Now, are you, as the water's cooling, are you slowly getting deeper and deeper, or are they still fairly shallow? That's a really good question. So, what happens when the water begins to cool? When we're talking about cool to be Pacific, we're talking about the water's getting 75 to 70. You're having longer nights. You're, you know, you're maybe even pulling down into the 60s at night. So when that happens, your algae dies. Mm-hmm. So when your algae dies, you know, your brush piles, your docks, everything I mentioned that algae grows off of, you're not going to catch fish there anymore. Because mm-hmm. once the algae dies, the food chain is broken. And those fish basically suspend and just, you know, kind of follow the, the, the shad around. Hmm. So they're still following the shad. They just don't know. They just don't know where they're going. You know, shad hmm. will live in a brush pile or live on a cement, you know, structure. But when, when the algae dies and, you know, this, the, I use the, the, the terminology that, you know, the crappie is circling them like shark, hmm. you know, but when, when the algae dies, things can kind of get scattered. So that's when you want to concentrate back in your creek channels mm-hmm. to where, you know, it's not that hard to find a fish. Mm-hmm. That You know, that time of year, the main lake can probably get really tough because a fish is going to roam wherever shad's roaming, and there's not going to be a whole lot of logic behind that. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, are you, st- and I mean, I, I assume so, because you're talking about chasing shad. Are you still using a lot of live bait this time of year? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good question. You, you're still on a jig minnow combination. 
there's some days I will literally have a jig on top and a minnow on the bottom. Hmm. And on Tuesday, I caught them all on a minnow, and on Wednesday, I'll catch them all on a jig. Gotcha. So that's why I'm using both. Hmm. And I yeah, assume if you're, I assume if you're only catching switch, you know, and, and that'll late fall will basically fish a lot like the winter time. And you know, I mentioned the creek channels. That's that's where you're going to be successful in the winter time. Gotcha. And I was starting to ask, I assume if you're, you know, if you got both on, you're catching all your fish on one or the other, you'll switch them out and fish both both hooks with the same thing? On that day, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then we hadn't even talked about live scope, but it's <laughs> it's, it's something that is, is truly amazing. It makes fishing fun when fish aren't even biting. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, then underneath your live scope, you know, if you've you got a minnow on the bottom and a jig on the top, and you know you're not showing on the jig or the minnow, I kind of show them middle and make them make a choice. So if nine out of ten fish are dropping down to the minnow, then it, you know the, the minnows you can go ahead and put two minnows on if you want. Mm-hmm. But if it's rising up to a jig and dissing the minnow, then it, it's a jig day. Is there any circumstance for any reason you would flip those? Uh, you know, if you're not catching fish, would you throw the jig on the bottom, or do you pretty much always keep the, the minnow on the bottom? I like to keep the minnow on the bottom, and there's no reason for that. Probably just habit. But going, you know, going back to live scope, if you can see that fish, you know, you can you can show it the bottom jig or show it the top fish. Mm. It, it's or you know the bottom minnow. It's basically your choice to show them which one. Gotcha. Live scope is a complete, I mean, a whole nother topic. You don't even, <laughs> it, it, it's a whole nother topic. Mm-hmm. Now, are you talking about the cameras that go down? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it's basically mm-hmm. underwater live camera. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, you can literally tell their head from their tail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can look at them and I can tell you that's his head and that's his tail and that's the way he's swimming. Mm-hmm. I bet you there's some old timers listening to this going, golly, and shaking their heads. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I am a little bit. I mean, I'm not old, but uh but I that's the type of stuff that, you know, you that's this type of stuff you dream about as a little kid when you're not catching any fish and you think I just wish I had a camera I could just send down there and see where they're at. I know, I know. I'll never forget my son telling me not just three or four years ago that it was going to happen and I just kind of looked at him smirked like you know we're fishing off 2D graphs and mm-hmm. you know 2018 I'm still fishing off 2D sonar like I'm not going to go from 2D sonar to looking at the live camera but he was right <laughs> gotcha gotcha alright well I feel like I distracted us right there um, so we're in winter time anything else with that time of year yes um I mean, if I'm just if I'm just giving out free advice, I, I would I would tell everybody out there listening. Um, the biggest thing in the winter time is so important to fish slow. You have to fish slow. Um, you, you can have great trips in the winter. You can absolutely catch. That's the time of the year where you're to catch the biggest fish. You know, I mean, all, all day long. That's trophy season. You may not catch as many, but they're going to be the right ones. Mm-hmm. But you just got to go out there with, you know, with what they call a, a PMA, which is 
positive mental attitude mm-hmm. and you just got to put your head down and just fish real slow. And are you still cool. kind of holding by your 10 minute rule there or is that, you know, will you stretch it out a little longer in the wintertime? Yeah, that, that's a good point. No, you're by that time of year, um, I get to talk about, you know, metabolic rate, something I haven't talked a whole lot about, but when you follow that water temp crappie chart, you know, in the summertime, water temps in the 90s, they're, they're pretty lethargic, they're not moving. In the wintertime, when your water temps are, you know, upper 30s to probably 45, 48, your fish are there again, very lethargic. So you have to fish slow, and you have to fish patient, and and you'll, you'll catch them. But yeah, the 10 minute rule is definitely extended you know, in, in wintertime fishing. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Um, anything else to kind of close that little gap from, from winter to spring? Uh, we kind of start off in spring. Is there anything different for that, you know, maybe February time frame or early January? Yeah, no, that, um, that's a good question too. I mean, you're getting the winter time and things are really starting to warm up and the trees are starting to bud and, and a lot of fish, that's when they're going to make a big move to, you know, or to spawn. So another really cool thing about a crappie is a crappie will actually go back to where it was, where it was born. Hmm, just like a salmon, huh? Right. I don't care if some fish might live a mile or two their whole entire life from where they spawn. Some fish will live upwards to they've tracked them to 15 to 25 miles so at that time of year a fish makes a makes a move back to where it was born hmm. so that's really cool and then just another little fun fact about crappie is a lot of people don't realize how um how short a lifespan they have so the, the lifespan of a crappie is around here is about five years hmm. gotcha. yeah, and then actually north of you know when you use in kansas and and as you go north they might live seven to ten years gotcha but uh down here in the south that's that's about as long as they live the hot water stresses them out Mm -hmm. Hmm. so pretty pretty short lifespan yeah yeah uh that's that's very interesting very interesting that uh they live shorter in the south but i guess it makes sense you, you know you're talking about not being as much oxygen in the water when it gets hot, uh, yeah, I'm sure it just wears yeah. them down. Okay. Well, wow, man, that was a uh, that was a college course right there. <laughs> um, and if you don't mind, I, I got a few more questions I'd like to ask. I, you know, that kind of wraps up our year. Um, but I got a few things down here at the bottom of my list. Uh, one thing I really want to hit on is jig color. And I'm sure you could go on a, a tangent about this, but um, you know, if you if you no, watch crappie I, fishing or oh, I'm sorry, no, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I'm just saying, you know, if you read or watch crappie fishing, you know, you're gonna hear about all these colors. And when you when you look at that aisle at uh, you know Walmart or Bass Pro wherever you're at, there's a thousand different colors. And you know, I think it's pretty obvious that colors can make a difference. But do they do they actually mean anything? You know, is are you trying to match the color to the water temperature, the vis- visibility of the water? Just just give me a little quick little rundown about color. I hate that question. <laughs> <laughs> I do. 
do. I do. I I swear, a, a color of a jig, that is an analogy, is like women the jewelry. And and please, women, don't don't take that offensive. That in your shoes too. Uh, our fishermen, we're the same way. Mm-hmm. We have to have a green one and a pink one and a brown one and and it, it's a very very controversial. I mean, it's so circumstantial. Um, I'll just be honest with you. I haven't got that figured out yet. Mm. I haven't. I've seen it too many different ways. For you know, and, and one of the biggest, you know, this is just my opinion, but let's say you're catching them on pink and black, really good, and your buddy's using, you know, chartreuse and black, and you know he switches to black and pink because you may have caught the first two or three fish on black, on black and pink, and you just tear them up that day. You're never going to change your bait. Mm. You know, you're not going to be whipping them on black and pink and just rip that off and put orange and chartreuse on and go, hey, I'm going to see if this works too. Mm. And I think when people talk about color, you know, that that's the biggest myth for me. If you're using something, you're not going to take it off. You're going to keep using it. And somebody asks you what they're hitting on, you're going to tell them black and pink. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of it like that. Why, yeah, uh, why? I think there are circumstances in clear water where color would matter more. Um, my opinion in dark water is it's more of a shadow issue. So I would say, you know, I would say shape and size would probably trump color hmm. because your water's so dark they can't really see color. Mm-hmm. And in that instance, you know, if you're if you're in darker water. Would you want maybe a, a bait that has more movement? You know, like a uh, oh gosh, my mind just went blank. The, like a hey, tail? No, you're, no, you're on it. Yeah. You're on it. That's actually small ribs. You know that that catch water under the water. Mm-hmm. That way, the fish can can use their lateral line to feed. You know, dirty water fish use their lateral line probably just as much more as their eyeballs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and and on you know going back to to me saying shape and size in in my opinion that matters more is you know I, I talked about match the hatch and you just really got to pay attention to your shad size mm. and there again I guess you could just go catch some shad or at the end of the day you clean fish and you're, you're lucky enough to get one that they hadn't digested yet you can see the pretty much exactly what size they're they're eating naturally Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, for color, I, I won't. I don't like that subject because <laughs> I, it's so circumstantial, mm-hmm. and I, I hear people talk so confident about this color or that color, and and I don't know. It, it's day to day. Yeah, yeah. Well, you did well. As fishermen, yeah, I mean, us fishermen get caught up on using a pink jig head over a chartreuse one or an orange one just because we had success and, and I'm I do it all the time you know if they've been hitting the pink pink jig head with black and pink shoot that's all I'm gonna hold you know mm-hmm. I'm not gonna try anything else mm-hmm. but yeah it's it. you get confidence in a bait it's pretty much the truth mm. gotcha gotcha alright well I got another question and this one kind of has two parts and this is kind of more to benefit the listener um, if you could only have 
one rod setup, what would it be? And then the second part is if you could have two rod setups. And I'm kind of doing this for people who have, uh, you know, different financial obligations. Um, and you don't necessarily have to get specific with a brand, but, you know, describe the type of rod. If you could only have one rod, what would it be? And if you got two, what would it be? Or they be? Okay, that's a good question because a lot of people fish from the boat, but just as many people fish from the bank. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I were to have two rods, one of them for sure would be a 10-foot rod, any brand. Um, They all all catch fish. Um, And then my second choice would be a 7-foot spinning reel. Mm -hmm. And that way I would have the ability to cast off the boat or off the bank. You know, if you're fishing off the bank, obviously you're going to be fishing with flip bobbers. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're, and they're going to cast on a, on a spinning reel, you know, better than a bait caster that would backlash or whatnot. Right, right. And what kind of, would you like lighter action, medium? What about that? Yeah, I, I do a medium light. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I do a medium light, you know, just in case you're doing any cast and dragging. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in clear water off of a boat, mm-hmm. you know, you want that light action so you can feel that little tick. Gotcha, gotcha. And you may have said it, maybe I didn't catch it, but if you only got one rod, what would you what would you have? Um, I mean, for me, being being fishing off of a boat, it would it'd be a ten foot rod. Gotcha. Okay. Alrighty. Um, yeah. Next question. This is pretty. Something else when you when you talk about a bite, just real quick, because it gets just going through my mind. Fishing with with you know a lot of different people, and and I learn off I learn off my clients more than you would ever know. I mean, people show me stuff all the time. And I'm like, wow, I, I'd have never figured that out. But when you're talking about a bite, and let's say you're you're new to crappie fishing, and you know you don't really know what a bite is, I I hear all the time in my boat, even if I'm guiding. Like, you know, like, oh, I got a bite. Well, and especially in crappie fishing, like I mentioned, they don't have hands. (laughs) So if you feel anything, I mean, just like a perch peck, I mean, if you feel anything, it's in his mouth. And every millisecond you don't jerk, you're probably not going to catch that fish. (laughs) Yeah, so that's one of the top things I explain when when you get in my boat, like, we're going to have a great time. We're going to catch fish, but, but we're going to learn, you know, mm-hmm. and we're going to pick up on these little crappie fishing is, you know, is, is, it's a lot of little things you got to do right to catch crappie. Yeah. Yeah. But when you feel, you know, when you feel anything, you, you just got to lift up because it, it's not like it ran up there and slapped it with the tail. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's in his mouth. Mm-hmm. And that's a real so, quick, that's another great question. Uh, as far as setting the hook, you know, are, are you doing a, a large mouth bass? Yank it as hard as you can. Are you flicking your wrist? What are you doing? No, it, it's so fun to do that, mm-hmm. but but no, it's usually just the probably just the motion of the wrist. Mm-hmm. You know, just or you can just lift your rod. I mean, people call crappie paper mouth all the time. They have the thinnest mouth of just about any fish. Mm-hmm. So it takes little to no pressure to set the hook. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, that about uh, does it for my questions. Uh, I'm going to open it up to you, though. Any any points that you think we missed or important topics you think we should cover? Nah, we missed a lot. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> we didn't talk about point fishing. We didn't talk about current. We didn't talk about 
oh, high water, low water. I don't know. There's, there's crappie fishing is such a, a big subject. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's why I like it so much. It's, mm-hmm. it's a figure it out by the, by the day. Yeah. yeah. Even being a fishing guide, you think, well, man, that guy's after all the time. He's, you know, he knows where they get their mail, you know, and all mm-hmm. this and that. And that's really not the truth. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of times I'm having to figure it out as, as I go. Yeah. To me, that's what makes it fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, like sand bass fishing, I think sand bass fishing is a blast. But that's more of a fish that you probably could know where to go and know what to do. I mean, once once you find them, the catching is on. Mm-hmm. You know, with crappie fishing, a lot of times you find them, you know, they're still not going to bite. Mm-hmm. Even in days like this when we have live scope, I mean, there's... You can just put it right on their nose, and sometimes they're they're just not going to bite. They're they're real they're real curious fish. Yeah. Well, we may have to call this the uh, the undergraduate course then, and maybe sometime we can have you back on to give the master's course. But you, uh, I tell you what, you blew me out of the water. I'm going to have to ice my neck tonight because I've just been sitting here nodding and uh, I'm and soaking up every word. So. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, well, and like I said, I'm I I still I still learn stuff, you know, every all the time. Mm-hmm. I think you know, there's always there's always more to know. Mm-hmm. You but might just real quick, you know, just to I guess give my guide service a, a shout out. Of my name's Dusty Keener. Mm-hmm. My dad's name's Dennis Keener. We're findable. You know, you can get on the internet and type up, you know, DNK Guide Service. We're gonna pop up. Um, my number is nine one eight four seven zero. Seven one three three. My dad's number is nine one eight four seven zero six four two two. And uh, we actually something I didn't talk about is we have the ability to do group trips. Mm-hmm. So there's four people max on my boat and four people max on you know my father's boat. We run twenty one foot uh, bass boats. And a lot of times our group trips even extend into eight, twelve, sixteen people. So we're actually, we're actually networked with many guides in Lake Eufaula. So, you know, sometimes we do weddings and, them, you know, big groups. Mm-hmm. So. Awesome. So that's cool. Awesome. And you guys have a website. If you want to uh, throw that out there. Yeah, yeah. It's DNK, dnkguideservice.com. Okay. And, uh, you know, you might have one more uh, learning opportunity coming up. You might be able to go ice fishing here in a couple of days. That's exactly right. I don't. Yeah, I've never fished out of a shanty, but maybe uh, maybe it's time I need to start building one. I don't know. Yep. Golly. Yep. And it'll be uh, when this podcast comes out. Like I said, a lot of the weather will have already happened or be right in the in the heart of it. So I'm I'm curious to see what all happens. But but anyway, uh, Dusty, you have been just awesome. I uh, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'd love to have you back on sometime. Um, any any final words? No, no, I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, you know, to be able to do this with you, and and uh, I just I had a blast, and I appreciate the platform. Anytime, anytime. All right, thanks for coming on. All right, thank you, John. See you. How about that? Man, incredible job, Dusty. I really enjoyed that. I hope you guys did, too. Please give him a call and go fishing with him, because it's very obvious he knows what he's talking about. Uh, if you're in the Lake Eufaula area or really anywhere, you know, Oklahoma's not that big. 
get out there and call them up and go fishing. And I hope you guys also learned some stuff that you can take out on the water yourselves. Uh, I know I sure did. You know, selfishly, that's part of the reason I wanted to do this interview is because I've been trying to get into crappie fishing. And it's just something I've never really done before, but it, it interests me. And talking to him gave me a lot of confidence to get out there and try to do some of this stuff myself. And so, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I sure did. Um, I want to thank Dusty one last time. And also, man, be please, please be praying for all the truck drivers, all the first responders, uh, all the the cops and the hospitals with all this weather. Um, man, it's it's just rough out there. So I hope everybody out there is being safe. Please be careful. Stay inside if you can. And until next week, I hope you guys have a good one. Get ready to go out there and catch some fish, and I will see you guys later.